Welcome to this week's Vegan Family Podcast. Yes, we're coming to you again from our basements and our garages, and in my case, uh, my panic room, which is a special area of my basement I made to get away from the kids, (laughs) because we are all in the midst of homeschooling, coronavirus lockdown, quarantine, stay-at-home initiative um, because of the virus. And how is it going on your end, Cheryl? How are things in L.A.? Well, I wish that garages and basements was kind of a joke, but it's not. I'm literally sitting here in the garage, uh, you know, listening for a little feet. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. We're doing fine. I think, you know, it's not, um, you know, it's not all that different from when we talked last time. There's a lot of, like, the you know, it's like the, there's all these memes out there about, like, nature is taking back the earth, you right, know? Right, right like my children taking over the house like there's just <laughs> everywhere and like that's, you know remnants of whatever projects they've been working on that is hilarious i never thought of that they show you how nature is taking over and that elephants are walking the streets of india and other wildlife is taking our kids have literally taken over our homes yeah, yeah. You know, I I think of them as like, you know, those nature documentaries. It'll be like, oh, yeah. you know, the chimpanzee can no longer live, you know, in a home. Like they're growing up and becoming mature. And this is a time when, you know, in, in the wild, they'd be, you know. So, yeah, I've got my own little primate colony over here. Oh, my God. Well, I've got. You know, toys everywhere. I can't, I can't tell you how many like tableaus of various toy scenarios are like on my nightstand and like in the bathroom. You know, there's there's just like a whole like, you know, rock planet with various combinations of Star Wars and yep. superhero characters. And I've got a good one. I've, we've got a special guest this week, which I'm excited about. So thank you uh, for tuning in to this episode of Vegan Family Podcast. I have a good one for you, Cheryl, that I mentioned to friends the other day is that when these kids do finally return to school, they're going to wonder why they're not getting feds, fed snacks all day long and they're going to say to their teacher where's youtube (laughs) well their teachers have been relying on a lot of those kinds of electronic i know it's true all right so so yes we have a special guest this week uh hopefully we'll we'll maybe do a giveaway uh so stay tuned we'll be right back it's time for animal outlook's vegan family podcast with your hosts eric c lindstrom and cheryl Leahy. So, yeah, these are uh, challenging times for all parents, aren't they? Um, I mean, let alone being vegan, um, just being at home constantly now for 36 or 37 days. I don't know what day you're on, but um, we didn't expect any of us, I think, for it to last this long. It's very important, obviously, but here we are, um, the vegan parents at home with our kids, homeschooling suddenly um, and facing all the challenges of, of doing all that. Well, I'll say it's also challenging for the kids. I mean, there's, you know, there's good, too. There's a lot of stuff that's kind of fun and entertaining. But I, yesterday, my four-year-old, um, I was, like, kind of shooing him away because I'm like, I have a meeting. And he just kind of stopped in his track. And he was like, ah, is a meeting just like <laughs> an important phone call? <laughs> yep. I, I, I had a meeting yesterday, and of course, an Animal Outlook meeting. We're talking about Veg Week, which as we record this, we're just over halfway through Veg Week. 
uh, our annual celebration of trying a vegan diet for a week during um, Earth Day week. And so all of us in the household, and there's four of us, there's myself and my wife, uh, Jen, who is the Director of Diversity and Inclusion at Cornell University, uh, our, our first grader, who's seven, and our kindergartner, who's five, all four of us had a meeting at two o'clock. Um, so there were four devices all in one room and each person with their headphones having separate conversations with whomever's, you know, facilitating their meeting. It's quite a different dynamic. At least you were on headphones. Yes. And when you said that, I was, you know, picturing everybody. Yelling you know, at the same time. <laughs> to try to get a moment of peace. Oh my gosh. So, yes. Like they've, we, we have like old like big boxes and they've both decorated their boxes with like pictures of themselves and like little like one of them has like a, like crayons and a um, first aid kit and like a book and they just go into their box when they're like irritated. Yeah. So so we have a special guest. I'll let you do the introduction. Um, you maybe know a little bit more about Meredith uh, Meredith Jones than I do, but I'm excited to hear the um, some more input from another vegan mom. Yeah, I'm really excited to have Meredith on. Thank you so much for joining us. So Meredith is a filmmaker and has some expertise in, you know, really packaging stories and getting them out into the world and has recently um, kind of put those talents to use in veganizing her family and and herself. And uh, we thought it would be great to have a conversation about that. Welcome, Meredith. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here today. That's great. So, so Cheryl, tell us a little bit. Yeah, like Meredith, tell us a little bit about kind of um, your your journey, which sounds like it, it sort of started with vegetarianism and then um, recently shifted into veganism, not just for you but for your for your family. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I became a vegetarian a really long time ago. Um, you know, here in North Carolina, that's where we live, um, we are really just at, like, ground zero with the concentrated animal feeding operations and all of the farms, and it's really, you know, very rural, a lot of North Carolina. And when my youngest daughter, who's now 13, um, she, she said she wanted to go to a farm, and she was, like, maybe 16 months old. And, and I thought, oh, that would be so cute to take her and a little friend to the farm. Um, and I was thinking, like, petting chickens and goats. But we, you know, accidentally um, took ourselves to a factory farm. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Because it was like a friend of a friend was like, oh, I know somebody with a farm. Sure, you know. Oh, oh, it was just so upsetting. I mean, as you can imagine. And so that was the day that I became a vegetarian. Um but the journey sort of evolved from there and, you know, I ended up having another child and, um, I wasn't really, you know, I was a vegetarian. I wasn't really making my children, forcing them to make that choice with me when they weren't in the home. But as, you know, as the years grew on and I came and sort of played around with, with being a vegan, um, you know, I actually came and stumbled across, um, compassion over killing before it was animal outlook. And I was really inspired with a lot of the, you know, the things that I saw on your website and the work that y'all were doing and um, I signed up for the newsletter and I took myself into this journey of really looking into the films that made a difference. So it was kind of like, I kind of went to like a research hole with it. Mm -hmm. And 
One of the first ones that I saw that just really moved me was um, Earthlings. And uh, the whole idea of, like, speciesism. And and it, it just touched me in this huge way. And yeah. I was like, you know, it's time. Like, being a vegetarian is not enough. Uh, you know, I want to take it up a notch. And, um, and then I ended up sharing the films with some of my family members. And then before you know it, it's really spread. Um, so... It, you know, I think it's really hard to convince people to do something with just your words or just being like, you know, trying to like push your point on someone. And that's what I love about the visual storytelling of film, because I think it's so impactful and it sticks with people in such a greater way than just, you know, one person trying to make a point. Yeah. Yeah. And for those listening who have never heard of or seen Earthlings, um, you know, I don't, I don't know if you want to kind of talk about what that looks I'll just say that, um, you know, we as an organization very much see the power of, you know, undercover footage, right? This is what we we really um, put a lot of, you know, blood, sweat, and tears into, quite literally. Um, and I think that's where, um, you know, a talented filmmaker, storyteller can really kind of bring those raw visuals um, out into the world and get people to have that kind of light bulb moment of, um, you know, what's the, um, you know, what, what does this mean? Like, what is really going on and how does this sort of impact my values? But, um, yeah, I think those those really sort of hard-to-watch visuals can be incredibly powerful. Definitely. And I have found this other really interesting facet. I don't know if it's because I'm, like, trying to incorporate my marketing and sales skills with what I know about film. But so depending on who the person is and depending on what they value, is that's really how I recommend the film so uh-huh. Uh-huh. like my dad is 77 and my mom's um in her late 60s and my dad is really really concerned about health um so and he's been it's funny because he's been a meat eating carnivore really his entire life i mean fried chicken was like a staple in my home growing up and you know i started to think about him and i was like you know dad like you should really watch you know, a couple of these docs, you know, what the health, that was a big one, or game centers. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and he said, okay, all right. I mean, I'm, I'm never going to be, you know, a vegetarian. I mean, he's made fun of me for literally years. At every, like, major holiday, he, they always try to pass me, like, the ham or the, you know, mm-hmm. like a big joke. Well, sure enough, I mean, he and my mom watched those movies, and for the first time in 77 years, he is now a full-on vegan. Wow. He lost all this weight. He has all this energy. I mean, it's it's really amazing That's to watch incredible. how these films have transformed people's lives. Yeah, you know, actually, um, you mentioned film, Meredith, and I, I would be remiss in not um, talking about Plant Pure Nation for a couple of reasons. Um, it came from Nelson Campbell, who's one of the sons of T. Colin Campbell, who, of course, is a pioneer in the whole food plant-based movement. And Plant Pure Nation was one of those movies that came out, uh, I think, just before What the Health. And it followed, you know, T. Colin Campbell's exploration of a plant-based diet, as well as a bunch of people in North Carolina. So um, Plant Pure Nation's headquarters were in Mebane. I don't know how close you are to Mebane, but it's a tiny little town in North Carolina where they did a, you know, a control group of 20 or so meat eaters, you know, traditional southern uh, food consumers and uh, put them on a plant-based diet for you know some 20 or 21 days and then tracked their health during that time. And so this is actually how I became vegan ultimately. I entered it from 
the dietary side first. And to hear yeah. you, yeah, to hear you talk about sort of jumping in the deep end or going from vegetarian to vegan um, because of uh, animal rights, I think is fantastic. I think that's definitely at the point I'm in right now with my journey, uh, you know, sort of more eye-opening investigations as well as sharing what the truth of what's happening in factory farms and in big agriculture. Um, but for me, it was all about losing weight, feeling great, um, you know, getting a certain age and wanting to feel healthier. And then suddenly making this, you know, um, I call it, you know, the, the connection, making the connection and saying, wait a second, it just so happens this diet that I'm on that makes me feel great um, also is saving animals. And now, of course, I consider myself an ethical vegan where I'm making my choices, decisions, as well as sort of my platform all about saving animals and then feeling the benefits of a good diet. Right. As I'm listening to both of you, I'm really thinking about how the the thread here that I think is really important for all of us who, whether we're sort of, you know, the kinds of advocates who work at animal protection organizations or we're just, you know, trying to kind of um, talk to other human beings, vegan values, essentially. I think one really important principle um, that I sort of started kind of understanding when we looked at some of the social science research on attitude and behavior change is you have to be thinking about talking to that person like for who they are. You know, you have to be sort of, um, you know, connected and sensitive and not just throw a bunch of information yeah. out into the world yep. and you know, expect it to be received in, in the same way across the board by everyone, right? I mean, this sort of, you know, snap your fingers, like how come everybody, you, know, the, the, you can't have like a foot tapping attitude that's just kind of like, well, how come you don't see it the way I see it? So I think, you know, being able to have that sort of personal connection or understand how certain people are kind of challenged or, um, you know, for example, like having a health challenge or um, where their values are, and then this sort of the intersection point, um, and, you know, how they might be receptive to some of these ideas. But I will say, you know, Meredith, don't <laughs> tell yourself short, like there's tons of people who've watched these films and they still, you know, or given their family these films and they still can't convince their family to change their behavior and, you know, go vegan or close to vegan or even reduce, um, you know, their animal product consumption. So, you know, what was the, what was the magic there? Like, how did, how did that happen? Well, okay, so this is funny, and this goes sort of into my Southern roots culture, too. So, um, you know, I grew up in a real, real Christian family, and religion plays a huge role, I think, in a, in a lot of the parts of, of the South, especially in the Carolinas. Um, and I did actually make the connection between how, you know, Christians are always trying to, like, be really evangelical with other people, especially like the non-believers. And, and it's interesting how, you know, there's so much about, like, look, there's all this, like, unconditional love out there for you from God and Jesus. But if you don't believe, you're going to hell. And I think that that people try to, you know, I saw a lot of recruitment to the church growing up and, and I was like, gosh, you know, all of that is so harsh. Like it would be such a better message to just be like, you know, there's some unconditional love out there and if yeah. you have a conversation about it, let's do it. And so I was like, you know, in a lot of ways, having an ethical, you know, idea, ideology about anything, whether it's our food or how we take care of our children or, um, you know, what do we believe spiritually you know i think that coming at people with a like hey i see you you're a human i don't stand in judgment of you 
but this is something interesting I've discovered if you want to take a look at it. I have found that the approach is everything. Yeah, that's really interesting. That's the same concept, right? I mean, it's the idea, like you say, sort of being sensitive and approaching people as a human and who they are and what it is that kind of matters to them or what they value and understand and be able to kind of find that common ground. I think that's right. But, like, my business partner, you know, I mean, she's an amazing woman, and she's been, you know, in and out of practicing um, being a vegetarian and other things. But her reason and her point of entry was really different even than the health side or the ethical side, as she was really trying to, like, raise her spiritual vibration. And and she, you know, was interested in how does what we put into our bodies limit us and sort of that Rudolf Steiner idea that we stay kind of really grounded to the earth where we're eating a lot of animal products. And, and so she went that direction and, and it just continues to amaze me how everyone can take this idea, even here in the South where we're all you know surrounded by these farms and a lot of people doing the same way of life and, and make it their, like we're all here in it saying, how can, how is this going to be ours? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I think that whole kind of being attuned to people um, you know, is really the key here. And then, you know, um, we talked a little bit about the sort of film side of things. Like, how do you think, like, okay, how does this translate into if you're making a piece of, of art, a film, or, um, you know, a piece of writing or something that kind of, you know, you don't have that face-to-face interaction necessarily with another individual person. What are the things that make really good visual storytelling or the components of a good story to sort of get this... Um, this message out there and connect with people right um well i think you know really strong visual image you know even if it is graphic and it's really hard to watch you know like earthlings for example i think what they did that was so powerful was they combined really strong images but then they made the suggestion to to the viewer that it really wasn't any different than you know genocide or racism or misogyny and so when you're able to suggest a really bold idea with a a strong visual i think it allows people to feel some sort of emotional response i mean i think the best storytelling is always how can you elicit an emotional response whether it is humor or you know fear or outrage or emotional sadness i mean anytime that there is an emotion you can trigger that's when you know you're going to have an effect i mean yeah, unfortunately, a lot of advertisers know that as well, which is why political ads are so horrifying, right? <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. They know exactly what to say to elicit one of these emotions. and But I think that with, with films, it is about connecting to those. And, you know, if you want to get – that's why I said that knowing the person is, is an added asset to which film you would recommend because then you're able to tailor – the message to the person that you know is going to receive it which is you know sort of like advertising marketing one-on-one yeah i i it surprises me like after all this time watching investigations footage and talking with our undercover investigators that it'll still get me like it'll still like you know bring some kind of um you know yeah response yeah sadness and like there's a certain amount of like perspective about the world that kind of comes from um you know engaging in this stuff like I remember um we did I don't think I've talked about this in the podcast before but I remember did an investigation um of a uh 
spent dairy cow facility um, a number of years ago in Northern California that was supplying, like the dairy industry, um, a lot of the slaughtered cows, the mom cows, um, that meat ends up at like, you know, fast food restaurants, school lunch program, that kind of thing. Um, and so I remember sitting and watching, like we were really trying to hurry um, to get everything ready to kind of bring to the authorities and stuff. And, um, you know, I was in very close daily contact with the investigator and kind of spending, I remember spending like, you know, 18 hours one day just sitting and going through footage and organizing it and whatever. And, and then going outside the next day, like watching literally like just, you know, watching the slaughter footage and going outside the next day and seeing people play kickball in the park. And I live in Southern California. It's like really sunny and nice all the time. Um, and so this like this really cute, like idyllic scene of people like just out there playing kickball. And then I'm like, well, it's so interesting. Like some people like spend their day playing kickball in the park and some people spend their day, yeah. you know, yeah. brains out of the house. Like it's so like this bizarre, like why do we do this to them? Like it was that moment of like, it's almost like surreal. Like if it, like, you know, if there was some alien species that came in and looked at what we're doing, like this would just be so absurd yeah. and um and it's, it's only that it's only the visuals of what's happening um that can elicit that kind of sort of um, high intensity emotion like still to the day for me yeah right off of that cheryl too a lot of people probably don't remember uh recognize um understand that when our undercover when animal outlooks undercover investigators um capture all of this footage we, you know, our director of investigations, as well as yourself, all the way to the marketing department, um, have to watch hours of this footage to, you know, sort of pull out the most compelling or um, uh, graph, you know, uh, uh, the, the stuff that's going to actually make an impact on people. And so we need yeah. to we need to actually watch all of it. And it's absolutely unbelievably heartbreaking to, that, to have to do this as part of your job. I have to look away. Um, oftentimes as we're looking at sort of rough cuts of videos of undercover investigations. And I'm not the person who was there capturing it. And I'm not the person who was first looking at it to cut it down to, you know, it's half an hour um, cut before it becomes a six-minute cut or whatever. So, uh, Meredith, have you actually, since um, going vegan and since watching Earthlings, have you been inspired yourself to do any filmmaking, to write anything, storytelling related to um, slaughterhouses or, or animal agriculture? You know, it's interesting you would say that because I did float something by my business partner. Um, you know, and we, we did, we had a conversation about it. We no, we have not, um, filmed anything yet. And, uh, I was really fascinated when I saw the work that you're doing going undercover. Cause all I can think about from a production standpoint is how are y'all getting in there? You know, like, how, how are you getting in there with the cameras and, not, um, you know, really capturing that? But um, it is something that I think I would like to do at some point. Um, and I think I'm definitely in the right place for it. <laughs> well, I'll tell you the, the, you know, thing that really I think is sort of a well of um, sort of insight and stories are the investigators themselves, like their experiences doing that we watch it from, you know, sort of this, this distant perch, um, you know, and, and the perspectives that these, these people have going in there, it's just, you know, unbelievable. Like that's something that, you know, I can listen to them talk and 
just, you know, never gets old. So yeah. I think that's, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's something that would interest me because, you know, one of the things that we always ask ourselves as, as storytellers is what story hasn't already been told? You know, what's, what's, a, what's the new angle on this? What, what can we present that would be interesting and captivating because it hasn't been told yeah. already? Yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, <laughs> there's sort of all these hours of footage and all this time that's spent going in and we only kind of get that one big shot to get the investigation out there. And we're trying to spend some time, you know, really being able to, um, dig into our library basically and kind of get that material out. Um, which, you know, I think let's sort of circle this back to the, the family theme of this podcast. And I think, um, you know, there, there are sort of different challenges or different experiences when somebody's coming at this, you know, at seven years old versus coming at this, you know, as a single person or as, you know, a, a parent or, yep. you know, um, you know, these are all sort of core questions about how do you, you know, bring these values and sort of live these values um, as a family. So uh, maybe we can kind of shift gears away from the heavy <laughs> and into like, how has this been for your family, Meredith? Like, how do your kids, what, what has this transition been for your kids? How are you kind of preserving traditions or building new traditions? You know, have they said anything kind of, you know, insightful as kids so often do or, you know, sort of, um, you know, revealing about how they're experiencing this. Yeah. Um, the kids are doing good, you know, having as as you you both know having children at home especially during this time is really challenging uh mine are seven and 13 so you know a little different from having small children but you know i feel like what what they're lacking in energy sometimes the teenagers are making up for in hormones and so there's a lot of that moving around um my the, my teenager is taking this time to really get very clean about her diet so um, that has been interesting to watch unfold. She's sort of doing like an all like whole foods approach uh -huh. which, when you, you know, combine that with, you know, vegan or vegetarian, that is really challenging. Um, so we're, you know, we're really doing like all lot of fresh vegetables and fruits and trying to get away from everything processed, That's which great. I still enjoy my like beyond beef stuff. So. <laughs> um, and then the little one is really funny. I mean, you know, I think, you know, when was this like maybe six months ago when I was like, you know, we're, we're really doing this now. We're, we're going all the way vegan and um, we're not going to have, you know, any meat products at all in the house. And she just cried and cried. Oh, and she's like, does this mean I never get bacon? Oh, no. <laughs> the yeah, classic. Like, she, she, we loved her. And I wasn't even making her bacon. I would like to go on the record to say that. But I think she was getting that at like her grandmother's house sure. or her, her dad's house. But you know, I said, look, I can't control what you do when you're not in this home. So you go on into the world and be your own person. But in this home, yeah, you know, we're going to put animals first. And, and you know, uh, side note, that is one of the only positive things about divorce during a pandemic is that <laughs> there is another place for the kids to go to yeah. from time to time. Um, really. <laughs> is that what I need to do? <laughs> seems, seems drastic, but it might be worth it. I mean, yeah, we've got that far unless you have to, but <laughs> it's really, really dark. You know, so, saying there are alternatives here. So, how? A couple of questions about your kids. How long have they been on vegan diets, and um, what are some of their sort of favorite 
I would say replacements or things that they definitely love because well, our kids have our own things that they they crave or love seeing me make or or create for them. Are they are they take, doing well with it? How's it going? Well, again, oddly enough, the older one who you would think would be more resistant is doing better, and she's been a vegetarian for a couple of years. Um, mm-hmm. And so she's she's doing really well, and she likes some of the same things that I like. I mean, before she started really getting clean, because now she won't even touch anything processed. But um, she was eating like you know, like the smart bacon and making you know BLTs, if you will, with, with oh, yeah. um, some of those like you know just the substitute <laughs> meats. Mm-hmm, we found those, and like we you know we like the veggie shreds and. Um, a lot of like the tofuti, I guess, is the name, the sour cream substitute. Oh, yeah, it's delicious. Um, it works amazing in meals. Um, the the younger one, I mean, you know, she's going to be definitely <laughs> staying with like more of the fruits and the vegetables. I mean, I, try, I keep trying to serve her the smart bacon and every time she just takes one look at it and is just so upset. That's it. Oh, my I mean, gosh. It's really funny. <laughs> Was she, like, more of a, like, you know, as, like, a young baby and toddler, was she, like, harder to try new foods and stuff? She's always been kind of an interesting eater, but the strange thing is that it's not like I've, like, been making bacon for the last 10 years and just took it away. Uh I mean, I've never cooked bacon around here. Like, I don't know where she got this appetite for it. It's really odd. (laughs) She's just seeing all the memes online. I've been a vegetarian since she was born, so, I mean, I don't know where she's gotten this taste for it. Maybe it's got to be her dad's house. Again, I'm going to blame him completely. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I, no, I think there, it sounds to me like something that she's sort of trying to express is more like sense memory and tradition, right? Like, it's not so much like, oh, I, you know, I normally have this, and now you're disrupting my routine, and now I have to get something that I don't like as much. I think that's kind of not what I'm hearing. It's more like, I don't know. Right. You know, it's more like, oh, I associate this with, um, you know, sort of warm and fuzzy feelings being around family, which I think makes it easier maybe to sort of pivot um, into like, well, it's not about the food. It's about that experience. or Right. And, and we talk about animals a lot because she's such a nature lover. Um, and, you know, like, so it's like if she's going to be like sad that there's not going to be any ham at the Easter lunch, like, you know, I have to like point out, well. And like you know we love animals like we're right. just so happy that no little pigs are gonna have to get hurt for us today and you know i try to always like bring it back to like some level that she'll connect to i think you yeah. know you, yeah. the, the, the age gap between your two kids is a lot further than the, mine seven and five mm-hmm. um they're actually 18 months apart so it's about as close as you can get um and then paisley's the you know the five-year-old girl who already is just completely in tune with everything that's going on in terms of her diet, in terms of being vegan, in terms of loving animals. You know, she's she's talking the talk and walking the walk, and it, it's, it's obvious for her. And then Cooper is seven, and he sounds a little bit more maybe like your seven-year-old, where he'll say, I love eggs. And we're like, but you don't eat eggs. Like he'll see an egg, he'll see an egg on TV, like an actual, you know, egg from a chicken, and say, oh, I love eggs. And I'm thinking, well, you've never eaten them. I'm making the most unbelievably gorgeous. Uh, I mean, you can't even imagine how perfect these just egg omelets are turning out now with cheese and spinach. 
and he'll eat two of those for breakfast without any issue. And I almost think in the back of his mind, he's thinking he's eating a chicken's egg. Like they're associating whatever they find around them or eating. Like we have these chicken nuggets um, at our grocer who's, they're just amazing. They're like this hidden gem. And they'll, you know, I'll cook a bunch up in the air fryer and they'll dip them in in vegan mayo or ketchup or whatever. And I think in, in their young minds, they're just thinking, oh, I'm, I'm eating a chicken nugget. They're not stopping to think, hey, this is a pretty authentic, uh, you know, replica. This is a great substitution for what I, they never ate any of this stuff. They were, you know, both raised, they've been vegan since birth. So I don't know where they're getting it from, but it's definitely, um, you know, outside influences. Definitely. Yeah. I wonder, do you, do your kids, do either of your kids, um, a lot of other vegan kids? Like my kids really get excited when they can hang out with other vegan kids yeah. and sort of talk about how, you know, they're saving animals and stuff. Yeah. Um, my oldest daughter, and this might explain some things actually, now that you pointed that out, I've had an aha moment. She goes to, um, like a Quaker school. And mm-hmm. so we're very blessed that there are a lot of like-minded people in that community. So you know, when she has her friends over, because teenagers have to hang out in packs, right? Like, you can't just be, like, one or two. You have to have, like, eight <laughs> teenage girls together at the same time for it to count. So, when I have all eight here, I'll notice that, you know, at least half, if not more, are vegan or vegetarian. Wow. That's awesome. So, at that age, it's really bizarre, you know? Well, I think that was about the age that I was, because I was actually trying to be vegetarian longer longer than I was allowed to. Like my parents wouldn't let me um until I wanna say thirteen, but I think I was trying to when I was eleven. And so I had to like go to the library because it's like before the internet. Um and take my little brother who was like just bouncing off the walls of the library and got us into trouble and stuff and like just go, you know, totally like find old books and stuff and make my case basically to my parents um to do it. Where I think now you know obviously with the internet and with really social media um there's a lot more opportunity for kids to feel connected uh, but that is the age where people are starting to really understand you know what's going on and yeah. start to question some of the things. um and i know you know obviously like um a lot of people do it at that age and then they, it kind of goes away but i think a big reason where why why people stick to it is because they have people around that they know um, who share those values and kind of, you know, almost remind them um, of what's going on. I'm going to, I'm going to take a second here to stick in a cute kid quote. It's time for another cute kid quote. I like being vegan because we don't eat meat. I like vegan pizza because it doesn't have meat pepperoni made out of pig. I like vegan because you don't eat animals and I I like animals. So, yeah, this is all so fascinating to me because we have three different um, parents with uh, two kids each in three distinctly different sort of geographic locations uh, in the United States during a pandemic. 
um, all talking about um, what I think are successes of, you know, raising vegan kids and in Meredith's case, raise, uh, having vegan parents, which I think is unbelievably fantastic. So I think we all we all should just uh, sort of step back and um, pat ourselves on the back. This is pretty, pretty impressive, um, considering how many other people I think around the country and again during Veg Week, perhaps uh, trying it for the first time during Animal Outlook's Veg Week. Uh, how many of us are are not only surviving, but we're thriving on vegan diets? Yeah, it's like, come on in, the water's fine. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Bad time, like people are really um, <clears throat> coming to this this issue um, in large numbers now, which I just think is, is so so not what um, you know anybody could have really envisioned even five years ago, but certainly not like ten years ago. Yeah, a lot has changed. Um, just availability of options, you know, options in, in grocers, um, restaurants, everywhere you look now, um, vegans are catered to somewhat. You know, I'm sure there's still areas, flyover states, um, that are a little bit more of a struggle for people. And there's still people, in fact, which I'm amazed by because I happen to live in a community with a lot of vegans. Um, there are people who have never met another vegan in person, which I see them online. They're like, oh, my gosh, I just want to meet one other vegan, please. Um, I invite them over. But, of course, they live too far away to just stop by. Um, this has been a fantastic episode. I don't know, Cheryl, do you have any other thoughts or questions for Meredith? Well, I think just the last thing is, you know, how is this different being south? I mean, Eric, you kind of mentioned the sort of different regional things, and we talked a little bit about you know, sort of virtual communities, social media and things like that. But, um, you know, how does kind of keeping your Southern culture and being part of, of that world yeah. um, fit into veganism? Well, I mean, I think what I touched on before, I mean, I just, you know, I kind of hesitate to say this because I don't want to be like, you know, I don't want to be, I don't want to stereotype this out, but I do think that a lot of our southern cooking is really built around meat you know mm-hmm. it is the fried chicken and i live in a coastal town too it is the it's the fried sh- it's the fried shrimp it's it's all of this like really hearty meat oriented cooking and so i think that just challenging people to think outside the box with that and to move past that you know like like my parents um that that's how it's it's really different and uh just anecdotally what I think is so fascinating is that at the beginning of the pandemic, and I can only speak for what happened down here, but a lot of our grocery stores got just mobbed. And so there was nothing on a lot of the shelves. All the meat was gone. There was this like chicken shortage here because Mm -hmm. all the moms would go in and they'd buy all the chicken meat, but there were all of these vegan products. All the vegan products were left. And it's like my family, my parents, my sister, who's become a vegan, you know, we, my, my business partner, we're all like, oh my gosh, it was like sort of like the most perfect timing to become a vegan before all of this started because <laughs> we had such an availability of food. And it, we were, I mean, it was just mind blowing because all the vegan stuff was on the shelves because there are hardly, you know, I mean, there's enough vegans that are carrying it in the grocery stores, but, you know, not enough to put a run on the vegan supply. Whereas yeah. all of the meat and all of the dairy products were gone from the shelves. Yeah, it's funny. There, there was some research about that, and actually, the the demand has gone up for vegan products. But I think that's right. Like right in the beginning, you would see some of these these sort of you know visuals of empty shelves with just vegan products left. And I think it's this feeling that like 
you know, the vegan food isn't sort of comfort hammock food necessarily. Um, so, I, you know, that's that's where as, it, as I'm listening to you talk about fried shrimp and fried chicken, I'm like, yeah, you know, we like to fry things like the vegan, you know, hipster kind of world in L.A. loves to fry tons of stuff. <laughs> like that can still be vegan. Right. You can um, still barbecue. Yeah. You know, you can still be yeah, exactly. You can still start to be you and kind of get those um, sort of traditions or emotional needs or, you know, just sort of whip um, or desire for adventure and new food or whatever. You can get all that met with, you know, a vegan diet, too. Totally agree. Yeah. So Meredith, thank you. This has been wonderful having you um, on the podcast. Your insight and own experiences definitely have added to what we hope are, you know, sort of valuable perspectives for other parents. Oh, thank you so much. And thank you for having me. And again, thank you all for the work that you're doing. It's been um, so important to my life and my journey as a vegan. And then all of the people whose lives I've touched as a result of, you know, really coming in contact with Animal Outlook. So thank you. That's so great. Thank you. Yeah, we definitely love hearing that. And so uh, if you have any ideas for upcoming episodes, email us at veganfamily at triveg.com. This has been the Vegan Family Podcast. I'm Eric Lindstrom, uh, joined by Cheryl Leahy from Animal Outlook. Thank you all. And um, as I end every phone call now and email, please wash your hands. Thank you for tuning in to Animal Outlook's Vegan Family Podcast. Have episode ideas or questions about going vegan? Email us at goveganatriveg.com. At